Well, I would invite you to turn in God's Word to Acts chapter 3, a passage that we're going to spend a little bit of time in this evening. Acts chapter 3, and if you are uh, without a Bible and want to use one of the ones in the seats in front of you, there's a couple of different editions there, so it's going to be either page 857 or 911, uh, either 857 or 911. And Acts chapter 3 is what we're going to look at this evening, verses 11. 11 through 16. And the title of the sermon, as you may see there, is You Killed the Author of Life. And you'll hear um, that phrase in the text that we'll read here in just a few moments. But as we started our service, we heard from Revelation chapter 5 at the beginning of our time. And we heard there about the risen, living, and exalted Lord Jesus Christ. The lamb who was slain, who ransomed people for God by his blood. The one who alone is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. And then we heard from John chapter 19 about the wicked, unjust, and horrific crucifixion of Jesus. In which he once and for all finished the work of redemption that he was sent from his father to accomplish. And all of these truths, such as we heard from both Revelation 5 and John chapter 19, may prompt the question for us, namely this, what exactly did Jesus accomplish for sinners through his death on the cross? What exactly did he accomplish for sinners? In other words, another way that we could ask that is what benefits flow from Jesus' death to sinners who put their faith in him? What benefits flow from his death to sinners? Well, the passage that we're going to look at tonight in Acts chapter 3 verses 11 to 16 really answers this question. And we're going to look at this passage tonight focusing mainly on the cross. And then Sunday morning, Lord willing, we're going to look at the same passage, but a little bit later, verses 17 through 26, focusing mainly on the resurrection. We hear of both the cross and the resurrection within the whole passage of verses 11 through the end of the chapter, verse 26. But tonight we're going to focus mainly on the cross and what we find in verses 11 through 16. Now, the context of the passage, just to say a brief word about that, the context is the early days of the church following the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus back to heaven and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And in the first part of chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, we learn of the apostles, Peter and John. Um, They're at the temple in Jerusalem, and they heal, or they're used by God to bring healing, instant and miraculous and public healing, to a man who had been lame since birth. And this event, of course, understandably brought great wonder and amazement to the gathered crowds of people, and that's what brings us to verse 11. And so I'm going to read verses 11 to 16, and then I'll pray. But let's hear the living word of God, beginning in verse 11. While he, the man who had been healed, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, 
Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is God's word. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your unchanging, loving, and authoritative word. We pray that you would help us now by your Holy Spirit to see, to hear what you have for us in this text. And as a result of what you would hold before us this evening, may we trust and exalt and follow the Lord Jesus more because of what you have revealed here. Please help me, Father, to faithfully and clearly and powerfully proclaim your unsearchable riches in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray for this. Amen and amen. Well, with this event and these circumstances in Acts chapter 3, Peter is speaking to the very same crowd of people who were directly involved and complicit in killing Jesus uh, about 50 days prior to these events, maybe a little more than 50 days prior. They killed Jesus, the author of life. And what transpires here in Acts chapter 3 is thus really an incredible display of the love and mercy and grace and patience of God as he yet offers forgiveness. He offers salvation to the very ones who were guilty of murdering his eternal and incarnate son. And what Peter says to this crowd as they are utterly astounded at the miracle that they've just witnessed, what he says focuses on the cross and the resurrection and on what Jesus accomplished through his death. And so again, tonight, we're going to gaze mainly at the cross tonight and then on Sunday morning at the resurrection. And what I want us to see in verses 11 to 16 is this main and central truth in what transpires. And here it is. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, undeniable guilt gives way to unimaginable blessings. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, undeniable guilt gives way to unimaginable blessings. And this is what we see in the text, and this is the truth that also has powerful significance for every single one of us. Again, through the cross of Jesus Christ, undeniable guilt gives way to unimaginable blessings. 
Now, there's two parts of this truth for us to ponder, uh, not only in what we see in Acts 3, but to ponder these truths in relation to our own lives. And as we prepare this evening in a little bit to share in the Lord's Supper, I want us to take a little bit of time to think about the two parts of uh, this truth that we see. And I'm going to personalize these uh, statements for us in these two parts. I'm going to personalize them uh, just to encourage us to think about our own lives before God in relation to these truths. So here's the first part of the truth, part one, and it's this. Our guilt in sin is undeniable. Our guilt in sin is undeniable. Now, first of all, in our text, I want you to see how we see this with the crowd in Acts chapter 3 and with what Peter proclaims to them. And he is emphatic and bold and crystal clear in what he says. The guilt of their sin is undeniable. In verses 11 through the beginning of verse 13, uh, first of all, we see Peter deflecting any sense of adoration or accolades that the crowd might give to him and John. Peter is deflecting that back to God alone, to the living God. And he's affirming and he's declaring that this miracle is God's work. It had nothing to do with Peter and John's power. It had nothing to do with their piety, with their spirituality, such as it was. It's all about God, and it's all about his work. And so he's, he's deflecting their attention to the living God. And then towards the end of verse 13 through verse 15, Peter really aims the laser beam of truth into the heart of their guilt. And it's all about what they did with Jesus. Though he says that God had glorified his servant Jesus, notice what he says. There's three different things that he says regarding their undeniable guilt. First of all, there in verse 13, he says of this one, Jesus, whom you delivered over. You rejected Jesus and you delivered him to those in human authority. And again, these are some of the very people who were guilty of doing that in connection with all of the other uh, wicked people who were involved in the murder of Jesus. But he says, you delivered him over, you rejected him, and you gave him over to those in human authority. He goes on to say in verse 13 and verse 14, you denied him in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him, but you to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And there he's referring to Barabbas, this, this insurrectionist, this murderer that all of the gospel records speak about. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Max from Folsom Bible Church preached about Barabbas and the significance of this, that this crowd was desiring to have this murderer released so that the holy and righteous one, Jesus, could be murdered could be killed. And so they not only delivered Jesus over, but they denied the truth of who Jesus was. And they chose instead what was false and what was wicked in choosing the release of Barabbas. And then the third aspect of their guilt, which just piles up on top of it, kind of the culmination of it all, is there in verse 15. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. 
He's making clear in no uncertain terms, you murdered Jesus. And just imagine Peter looking into the eyes of these people who had done this. And again, it's the laser beam of truth that is exposing their undeniable guilt in how they responded to Jesus. You murdered him who was the originator, who was the source, who was the prince as the New American Standard and the King James Version uh, translates that term. The one who was the author of life, the, the one ultimately whom God yet brought to life. It's an amazing exposure of their guilt that the Holy Spirit is bringing about through what Peter is saying. And notice that all of their guilt, all of their undeniable guilt, it revolves around Jesus, God's servant whom he had sent. And so we see the nature of their guilt in delivering over, denying, and killing Jesus. They were ultimately guilty of sin against the God who had sent and who had given Jesus. And so their sin is undeniable. And now for you and I, friends, just think about our own guilt and sin before the living and true and holy God. Because you see, the heart of all sin, beyond the external things we may do, the external things that we may say, the heart of all sin is just that. It's in our heart that is in rebellion against God. And for any of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the guilt of our sin is exposing what we were before we came to Christ. And if you're here this evening and have never come to faith in Christ, friend, this is a, a picture of the reality of who you are, not in the eyes of other people and not in your own eyes, but who you are in the eyes of God, the holy and the righteous one. The heart of all of our sin is to rebel against the true and living God. And the heart of our sin is to reject and to deny and, in essence, to seek to kill and to do away with Jesus whom God has sent. And it's not unlikely that if any of us were present among the crowds in that day when Jesus was murdered, that we would have been chanting for his crucifixion just as they were. Because we don't want to have him in our lives. And so you see, for we who are Christians who have come by God's grace to faith in Christ, before we came to such faith, we wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. We wanted nothing to do with him. And our rebellion and our guilt and our sin before the holy and righteous God was undeniable. And if you've never come to faith in Christ, I don't say this in a, in a self-condemning way, but in the reality of what Scripture reveals before the holy and righteous God, friend, your guilt before him is undeniable. And Scripture testifies of this again and again and again. The law that God gave, the Ten Commandments in which that law is embodied, it all reveals the reality of our sin. And in seeing our sin and recognizing our sin, the intent of the law is not so that then we can try to perfect our own righteousness because that's an absolute impossibility because the scripture declares that we're enslaved to sin. Rather, the intent of the law is to expose our sin so that we would see our sin for what it is, see our undeniable guilt, and then come to Christ. God's remedy for sin, God's provision for sin, the one in whom and through whom we can know unimaginable blessings. But the Ten Commandments, just as a starting point, are very, very clear. 
We should have no other gods before the one true God. There should be no idolatry. There should be no taking of God's name in vain, not treating his name lightly or common, taking it in vain. There should be no neglect of the Sabbath. There should be no failure to honor father and mother, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, and no bearing false witness, no lying, in other words, and no coveting. And Scripture makes it clear that it's not just the external activities of all of those things, it's the heart. In other words, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that even if you have hate towards another individual, if you say anything unkind or cruel to another individual, it's as if you have murdered them in your heart before God. If you have lust towards another person, it's as if you've committed adultery because it begins in the heart. And so all of these matters reveal the reality of our undeniable guilt and sin. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 would say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the verdict on humanity, and it's the verdict on every single one of us. None of us have perfectly kept the Ten Commandments to love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. None of us have. Our guilt in sin is undeniable. Just as it was for these people to whom Peter is speaking, so the Lord reveals that to us and declares that to us. The guilt of our sin is undeniable. But as I said, the point of the passage and the main truth of the passage back in Acts chapter 3 is that through the cross of Jesus Christ, undeniable guilt leads and gives way to unimaginable blessings. And that's the second part of the truth that we want to see. Not only that our guilt in sin is undeniable, but second of all, that God's blessings in Jesus are unimaginable. His blessings in Jesus are unimaginable. Now, once again, in Acts chapter 3, notice how we see God's unimaginable blessings in Jesus offered to the guilty sinners that Peter is speaking to in Acts chapter 3. Though these were the very people who rejected and denied and were complicit in killing Jesus, God was yet offering them forgiveness. He was yet offering them eternal life through faith in Jesus, the one whom they had killed, but whom God had raised from the dead. And again, we're going to look at the resurrection more fully on Sunday morning, but I want you to notice in verse 17 and following just this overflowing grace and mercy and compassion of God to these undeniably guilty sinners. So we read in verse 17 and following, Peter says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And then just slip down to verse 25. He goes on to say, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you, 
to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Do you see the wonder and the amazement and the astonishment of what God is offering to these people who were undeniably guilty? There are these unimaginable blessings of salvation and forgiveness to any of them who would repent and turn and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that's why what's going on here is an unimaginable display of God's sovereign love and mercy and grace and his patience in offering the blessings of forgiveness, the blessings of salvation to the very people who were humanly responsible for murdering Jesus. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. What an amazing heart of compassion and patience and love that he has for sinners such as these in Acts chapter 3 and for sinners such as you and me in this room tonight. He constantly holds this before us. And it's interesting, isn't it? In the mysteries of God's sovereign grace, the very one, Jesus, that these people killed is the very one that God ordained to accomplish redemption and to rise from the grave and who now offers them new life. In other words, their undeniable guilt was used by God to bring them to his unimaginable blessings. They killed the author of life, and it was the means and the instrument in God's mysterious sovereignty that became the the vehicle in which God offered them the blessings of eternal life. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. We see that pictured in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis with God's dealings in and through Joseph and how all of the evil that came against him was ultimately used by God to bring about good. Well, that's what we see right here. That's what we see in the redemption and the salvation accomplished through the Lord Jesus and what he offered. And so it's his amazing grace, his wonderful grace, his life-giving grace to sinners such as these, to sinners such as you and me. And so for any of us who have come to saving faith in Jesus, just think for a few moments about the unimaginable blessings that God has given to us, all because of his grace, not because of anything we ever did or could have done. We were undeniably guilty just as everyone, but it's all of his grace. And so he's given us redemption. He's given us reconciliation. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us justification, which means that he's declared us righteous in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and hundreds and hundreds of other blessings. Let me just read, for instance, from Ephesians chapter 1. Many of you are familiar with this passage, but the Apostle Paul, at the very beginning of this letter to believers in the city of Ephesus, he recounts the blessings of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And let me just read verses 3 to 14. Listen to what he says and count your many blessings as you hear these things. 
He says, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." Now, I'm sure you didn't catch all of that. I didn't even catch it all reading it, even as I've read it hundreds of times before. We'll spend all eternity exploring the depth and the wonder and the riches of all of these blessings that God has given to us. But he wants us to see that the nature of these blessings are really ultimately unimaginable. And what makes them all the more amazing and wonderful is that we deserve God's curse because of our undeniable guilt in sin. We fully deserve God's curse. That's why actually in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul will begin to remind the believers of what they were before God brought them to faith in Christ. And he says at the beginning of chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. We were by nature, we were by nature, he says, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Undeniable guilt dead in our sins, completely incapable of delivering ourselves from our sin and delivering ourselves from, from the penalty of sin. We were under God's curse. We were under God's wrath. And that's exactly what we deserved. And yet God in his love in Christ has given such unimaginable blessings through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I think that's at the heart of why we, we often refer to this as Good Friday. It was indeed the most horrific injustice that we could ever imagine being perpetrated against an individual. Because Jesus was the holy and the righteous one. He was without sin. There was no justifiable accusation that would have rendered him guilty at any level of anything. And yet God ordained for him to be a sin offering, to be a substitute for all who would trust him so that we could know the fullness of God's unimaginable blessings. That indeed is why it is Good Friday, because redemption was accomplished. Salvation was secured. And the blessings of God for sinners like you and me flow throughout all eternity. So, 
What exactly did Jesus accomplish for sinners through his death on the cross? As I said, in other words, what benefits flow from Jesus' death to sinners who put their faith in him? Well, here it is. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, undeniable guilt gives way to unimaginable blessings to those who repent and believe on Christ unimaginable blessings in the place of undeniable guilt. Now, just as we draw this together and move toward sharing together in the Lord's Supper, in Acts chapter 3, and these things that we've seen and just barely touched on, there is a massive reality that is central to all of the events going on in Acts chapter 3. And you know what it is. Of course, you know what it is. It's the healing of this man who was lame from birth. This is the event. This is the occasion that brings about all of the the proclamation that Peter is giving to these people. And so it's the reality of a supernaturally transformed life. That's what has taken place that's given the occasion of Peter preaching the good news of the gospel to sinners in need of salvation. It's the reality of a man lame from birth who was publicly, miraculously, and instantly healed. And Peter makes it emphatically clear that that he was transformed from his debilitating, disabled condition into perfect health, publicly, instantly, and in the presence of everyone, that this happened according to the power of God. And through faith, probably not this own man's faith, but through Peter and John's faith in, in knowing that God was able to do this. And it's a picture to us of the powerful fruit of faith. And what trusting Jesus Christ, what it brings about in an individual's life, there's a powerful transformation, a supernatural transformation, an instantaneous transformation in which a previously undeniably guilty sinner is made perfect in the sight of God and fully forgiven, fully redeemed, fully restored to fellowship and relationship with God. And so the miracle, the physical miracle that transpires with this man is a picture of the spiritual miracle that God does when he brings salvation to a spiritually dead sinner. And that should be an encouragement for us and a reminder to us that God is able to save. That's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, of course, this leads to the question, have you repented and come to faith in Jesus Christ? Have you owned your undeniable guilt because of your sin in the eyes of the holy and righteous God? Have you come to see and understand your guilt and yet by God's grace called out in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, to forgive you, and taken upon yourself all of the merits, all of the blessings of his life and his death and his resurrection? If God has brought you to such saving faith in Christ, It's an occasion to rejoice. 
It's an occasion to give thanks. It's an occasion to humbly, continually be reminded of all of God's mercy and grace and love and patience in the riches of the salvation that he's given to you in Christ. And then in light of all of these unimaginable blessings to be dependent upon him humbly to seek to walk worthy. And to grow in him so that the reality of your standing with God through faith in Christ becomes more and more evident in your life as you seek to put off the old person that you once were in sin and to put on the new person in Christ. But if you haven't ever repented, if you haven't ever turned from your wickedness and your undeniable guilt and put your faith in Christ, you need to know and understand, friend, that today is the day of salvation. And as Peter would go on to say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else but Jesus. For there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved but through Jesus Christ. And so it's both an invitation to come to faith in Christ and to know God's fullest blessings in Christ for all eternity. It's an invitation, but friend, it's also a warning. That if you persist in your rebellion, if you persist in your unbelief, you will suffer God's wrath throughout all eternity, even as you suffer aspects of his wrath now in this world. Because your undeniable guilt in sin will be paid for, either by you in hell through all eternity, or you can receive the full and complete payment that Jesus made on the cross for your sin, even as we sang about that earlier. Jesus paid it all. And so if you've never come to faith in Christ, call out to him in your heart. Just say, Lord, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm undeniably guilty. I need you. I want the salvation that you offer and give in Jesus. And if I or another brother or sister can, can, can be a help to you just to look to God's word together, to pray with you, to interact, we'd love that opportunity when we're done tonight. We'll keep these things in mind, friend, friends. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, undeniable guilt gives way to unimaginable blessings. And that's what we celebrate as we share in the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to transition now to a time of, of sharing in the Lord's Supper. And with this, as we typically do, I just want to say goodbye to those of you who have joined us on live stream. Thank you for being here. We hope you can be with us in person as it works out, uh, even perhaps this coming Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection. But thank you for being here, and we're going to go ahead and close out the live stream for now.